This is Jake Brennan from Disgraceland, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts, Rockarola. History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Well, hello once again. Welcome back to another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Podcasts. We have a great team of shows there. It's all music podcasts all the time, available anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, Megaphone, Podbay, all over the place. Uh, Very easy to find, just Google us. So yes, um, this episode, I'm not going to get into it right away because I wanted to mention something that I forgot from last episode. Um, I did this cool episode, I thought it was a cool episode, on Robert Plant uh, his enablers, his musical enablers. Um, and I attached a personal memory to all of them and I left out a personal memory that I wanted, um, to mention, uh, on the, uh, on the subject of the fate of nations album. Um, this is one of those situations where the magic of, uh, of radio gets you kind of thing. Um, we had gone on vacation, uh, you know, recently married. This was like 1993. We went on vacation to uh, to England and just did the whole crazy uh, see everything you can in uh, in two weeks situation. I remember, um, you know, I was nervous about the flight and getting over there and driving and all that stuff. We had to pick up a rent-a-car and stuff. So I thought, oh, I'll just stay up all night on this all-nighter flight we're having. And I left my contact lenses in. So by the time I get there, uh, you know, I'm, I'm freaked out. I had no sleep. Um, my contact lenses are welded to my eyes. Have to drive on the wrong side of the road to my wife's uh, um, grandmother's place, where we, the first place we stayed. But um, the the memory uh, related with this was um, so fate of nations. So this was we listened to BBC Radio One the whole time, and I was fascinated how um, in England, I mean, basically uh, they mixed uh, you know they mixed genres all over the place. You would be hearing pop, and then you would hear Iron Maiden, and that was so cool. It was so weird hearing Iron Maiden on you know in a mix of all these certain things. It really brought an appreciation to the Iron Maiden sound. But um, so yeah, one place we were staying at a bed and breakfast uh in north wales and uh, i just recall um you know and this was also the uh the year of the big the big suede album the debut you know so young animal nitrate uh what's the other big one i pulled it out here to look at it metal mickey um so we were hearing that this whole trip this whole two-week trip was pretty funny but so yeah so we were in wales uh staying at this bed and breakfast and the cool thing about it was we were in this attic and um and looking out uh from this bay window in this attic you know was over like this lush welsh field and it was so it was so cool it was so welsh it was night after another long day of driving sort of thing and on the radio came uh came robert plant from fate of nations and for the life of me i can't remember if it was 29 palms or his cover of if i were a carpenter but i just thought that was so cool hearing this uh this robert plant album on the radio you know you always hear bands talk about how the greatest thing about their whole lives is when they heard their you know their song on the radio for the first time so radio can have that kind of cool effect uh sometimes 
Um, so yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. So that was a that was a memory that really welded this Fate of Nations album, uh, you know, to the fondness of my brain. Um, okay, so let's move on um, with that little bit of forgetfulness business done. Um, so this episode, uh, this is something I've wanted to do for a long time, and you know that's a theme with me. That's happening a lot, um, where basically there's this this weird thought that's always been in my head, and I, I forget them, and then dis- and then remember them to do an episode. Well, this came up because I've been going on, um, a buddy of mine, Pete Pardo's got this excellent, excellent Sea of Tranquility YouTube show, and I've been going on a fair bit, and um, we were looking at the police catalog, and I just remembered that uh, Regatta de Blanc fit this uh, weird narrative I've always had in my head of these blue album covers on these, uh, le- well, let's let's be formal here. So this is going to be episode 53 of History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. And yeah, I'm just going to call it blue album covers. Um, I was going to try to do an extended title, but you know, you don't want to get it too, uh, too tricky. But so essentially the idea is this. Um, I've always had it in my head that there were these certain albums with blue album covers that were band's second albums, and they were the albums where a band really came into themselves and discovered their sound. And believe it or not, I've got five of them here for you, and they're all in a tight time frame. That's the other thing I wanted to do. I wanted to include ones that were in a tight time frame. And believe it or not, again, when you when we get to the end of the episode, uh, I'm going to mention a couple of honorable mentions, which are perfectly, perfectly good choices that could have been in here, and even a few other honorable mentions. But literally, there are uh, at least seven of these that I feel uh, fit this narrative of being a band's second album, blue album cover, discovered their sound. So that's it's pretty odd. Um, but uh, I don't know, maybe maybe you could do this exercise uh, with uh, with other, uh, you know, with other colors or with other whatever. But uh, no, th- this is this is completely, completely valid because this has been in my head since, uh, you know, two or three of these uh, accumulated in basically the late 70s. Um, so okay, so let's let's start with our first one. Uh, well, okay. I want to say one more thing about this. Um, you know, I, we we can we can put some romanticism on this and saying there's something about the blue album cover or the color blue. You know, it reminds me of what's going on in occult book publishing these days, where um, you know, occult books are is an area where they are very very beautifully artistically done on great paper, and you know, very careful about picking their type styles and the quality of the images and the covers and the different editions and stuff. So it's basically they call it talent manic publishing right so so it it's the idea of the book or the grimoire or whatever uh you know if it if it is a grimoire in fact but just a book in general just being almost like a, a part of a ritual itself because it's talismanic it's a talisman so so maybe blue is a talismanic cover for bands i don't know um but you know the other reason i wanted to do this is there's always that big debate that goes on you just keep hearing that cliche all the time oh a band has uh, their whole lives to write their first album and they only have six months to write their second album and i've had this debate with a bunch of people where you know they were trying to say that oh that's so true and the second albums are always crappy right and then i would point out millions of second albums that are amazing you know sad wings of destiny being a great example rainbow rising being a great example have i done an episode on this i'm not sure if i have um but anyways um so uh so so these are these are second albums with blue album covers and you know not only are they are they all really good albums um 
but you know they do have that extra um you know dynamic to them specific dynamic that that i think these are albums where a band found their sound okay so let's go into the first one here um and i also wanted to have a little bit of variety here so um you know so this kind of goes uh, goes across a few musical genres take a listen to this this is foreigner with double vision All right, so I wanted to play this one because this was really one of the first ones um, that had this uh, had this um, idea, um, and and it's one that came to mind when I was on Pete's show and we were talking about the Police because I always thought the Double Vision album cover looked a lot like the Police Regatta de Blanc album cover. The other reason I wanted to bring this one in is. Um, you know, talk about talismanic. Uh, we had a buddy in in high school at this point, so seventy nine. So I would have been, I think, grade ten. So we had this buddy. He was like a like a cool, quiet James Dean kind of guy, way cooler than we were. And he had this beautiful, beautiful dark blue fastback Mustang. And and he would he you know he just lived down the street, but um, basically he would pick two or three of us friends up uh, and drive us to school in the morning. Like we'd all go to school in this awesome, awesome car. And why do I mention this? Uh, You know, a a cool blue Mustang is a talisman in itself. But um, one of the soundtracks, probably the main soundtrack of that dang car was Foreigner's Double Vision. We just played it all the the time. Um, So yeah, that was Howard with his blue Mustang. And then the other thing is the other, I had this cool older cousin who I thought was impossibly cool, uh, Lawrence Perpalkin. And uh, he also had kind of the exact same beautiful, beautiful dark blue uh, fastback Mustang. So they both had this car, which I just loved these cars, right? I mean, the Mustang at that time, the 69-ish the Mustang was just such a classic, right? 66 to 69 or whatever before before the Mach, uh, what is it, Mach 1s where they were, that, that was also a really cool looking car, but but the classic, classic design is that uh, is that fastback from the late 60s. So, so there you go, two blue talismanic um, cars to go with these album covers. All right, so, what do I think about this album? I mean, we hated Foreigner somewhat as kids. Um, yes, How- Howard could play whatever he wanted in the car. We wanted to hear heavier stuff, but uh, Howard was boss in his boss Mustang. Um, but basically, um, I've grown to totally appreciate Foreigner over the years. And I think, so on the first album, they're a mishmash. They're a mishmash of players any- anyways. They're, uh, they're guys from all over the place, you know, minor groups, probably Spooky Tooth being the biggest, Lou Graham coming from Black Sheep, blah, blah, blah. Uh, um, a mix of Americans and uh, and British people. Um, but that first album has a conventional recording. It's a little bit pomp rock. It's a little bit bad company. It's a little bit all over the place, a little bit prog, some balladry. Um, but I think on this album, they really, really get this, uh, this weird, almost like teeth-clenched, tight sound, intimate sound, where, and I wanted to play this one because what you hear is a heavy song, but very, very spare, sparse drumming. I think in the clip I played, it's just uh, bass and snare drum, right? There's no, there's no 
hi-hat in there. So um, there's there's this big focus on the guitars, but yet when Mick plays guitars, it's not all that exciting. It's almost like these are simple, meaty, meat and potatoes, power chords, like Bad Company, like Free, you know, that's the pedigree, right? Um, but there's kind of a heaviness to it. And there's also, given that there there's this focus, everything is stripped away and you're hearing these, you know, distortion pedal guitars, it reminds me of early BTO as well, where a heaviness is achieved because you kind of strip away everything. It's not that anybody's doing anything super heavy. It's just you strip away everything and you're left with this kind of like, oh, this is what the song's about kind of thing, right? Um, so yeah, I think they really discover their sound. They're they're like the consummate star songwriters. Obviously, they sold tons and tons and tons of records. These songs are so, so memorable, and there's a lot of variety. But essentially, you know, this is the album, along with Head Games. And then actually, from that point on, it starts to degrade, and, uh, and they kind of lose sight of their sound, and they change the production qualities. But basically, there's no more Foreigner album in the world than Double Vision, and the second one is Head Games. And I, I probably actually like Head Games a little more because it's a little darker and it's a little heavier. Um, but yeah, so this is the record where Foreigner discovered their sound, and it's their second record, issued June 20th, 1978. All right, let's move on. Uh, take a listen to this. This is DOA from Van Halen 2. They found a dirty face kid in a garbage can. <laughs> I'm alone, I'm on my way Oh yeah, dead or alive Dead or alive Broken down and dirty, dressed in rags I'm from the day my mama told me all right, so I've maintained this, uh, and I, you know, I fa- faithful to you, the listeners. I, I went back and I, I wanted to make sure that I, um, you know, I, I picked something I hadn't played before. And, and surprisingly, we've talked about Van Halen on this show, but I, I think almost everything has been. I think we did jump, but I think almost everything else has been from Van Halen one, uh, making various points, right? But I wanted to pick Van Halen two. Because I've always maintained that this is the album where the band uh, discovers their brown sound. I've talked about the brown sound before, so I don't want to go in too much length. But to me, it's a combination of Eddie's guitar, uh, the fact that, um, you know, when he solos, uh, usually there's no rhythm track behind him. When he does a riff, he does little licks in between. The riff is like uh, almost like just a guideline. And I wanted to play DOA because this is a very solid riffy song, but yet you still hear little little licks and little clicks and little weird things that go on at the ends of riffs. So that's a big part of the Brown sound. I think the um, the harmonies, those those naive uh, you know schoolboy uh, kind of school gang crossed with school choir harmonies, uh, you know led by Michael Anthony, um, are a big part of the Brown sound. And a huge part of the Brown sound absolutely is Alex's drumming. Um, so I think you can hear all that a little bit on here, but this album in general. Um, so I think the first Van Halen album is probably the most professionally recorded of their entire career. Ted Templeman, Ted's on this one as well. But Ted does two very, very different things in these records. Um, so I think the first one is just super properly, competently recorded. And this one is messy and distorted and ragged and brown sound. So this is the record where Van Halen totally discovers their sound, I think. 
Um, and and essentially they carry the sound forward. Uh, and, and an interesting thing about the Brown sound, I mean, it, it gets it gets more extreme over the next two albums. It starts to clean up around 1984, Diver Down 1984. Um, but then uh, it uh, it gets both cleaner and browner uh, through the Sammy era. I, I think I think the brown sound is absolutely you know in its full glory across the Sammy albums, but it but it morphs a little bit. It gets a little more techy and high end, and a little more techy with the drums, but it gets almost more extreme. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, but I think all over this album, with you know the likes of Bottoms Up or whatever. Where's my Where's my copy here? So yeah, you've got. Um, uh oh yes I, I forgot about this it's hard to read the dang titles on this thing yeah out of love again for sure somebody get me a doctor even the way they cover you're no good a very very brown sound light up the sky you just hear that uh explosive hooness uh all over this record um which again i think is a it's a radical change and just a total loosening up um from the debut and there you go another blue album cover and a second album where a band discovers their sound. All right, so let's take a break. We'll be right back. Okay, back again here on History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff. Uh, we are calling this, uh, what is it, episode 53, Blue Album Covers. Okay, so uh, let's take a listen to this and we'll discuss. This is Motorhead with Tear You Down. All right, so a perfect, perfect, perfect example of this whole concept uh, of of bands with their second album. Uh, it happens to have a blue album cover, and they totally, totally discover their sound. The first Motorhead album was just weird. Um, there's there's coverness to it. Um, there's bluesiness. There's boogie rock and roll. There's bikerness and punkness. Uh, it was recorded in a super rushed hurry. It's kind of um, badly recorded on purpose is a term I like to use. Uh I, you know, when we got it as kids, so I was 14, I was shocked at how heavy it was, but still you were just kind of, ah, I don't know how great this is, right? There's a lot of weird, bad stuff on purpose, bad vocals on purpose, bad bass sound on purpose, everything, right? It's just, they just wanted to make a nasty record. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I remember when this album came out with the blue album cover, second album, uh, I recall being in Strawberry Jams in Spokane on one of our trips, either a legitimate trip or hook out of school trip, um, and just flipping through the records and seeing this, and, uh, and I leapt up and let, let out a howl and almost hit my head on the, uh, the low, big wooden beams at the top, and I was a little embarrassed, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, I saw this for the first time. Uh, yeah, this story. I I hope I hope I hope I've never told this story uh, and said it was the damned music for pleasure that the same thing happened with because a very similar thing happened. It like, the shock of flipping through records at Strawberry Jams and seeing something you didn't expect. So, but no, I'm pretty sure the leaping up and howling part was with the Motorhead album. Um, 
But yeah, so this record uh, basically, so they're now on Bronze Records. It's uh, it's a year, what is it, a year and a half later? It's March 24th, 1979. It's literally like the first Motorhead album. Basically, uh, Bomber and uh, or Overkill and then Bomber and then Ace of Spades. are They literally, I think all those songs could be interchangeable. I'm not the kind of guy who says Ace of Spades is their masterpiece. It's way better than these other two. It's not, I don't think. Um, I think they're all pretty much the same record. And, uh, and it's a very different um, sound than the debut. Uh, they just basically... Come in, Lemmy comes into his own as songwriters. Fast Eddie is there writing on every song, so that first album's got kind of disparate elements from the Motorhead's life, which started in basically 1975. A couple different members. Um, but uh, essentially, um, is it a couple or is it one different member? Anyways, so Larry Wallace. Yeah, I think there might have been one other guy in there anyways. Um, but anyways, this is the classic lineup of, uh, of Lemmy, uh, Filthy Animal Taylor, and... Um, Fast Eddie Clark. Sadly, all three of them no longer with us. Quite bizarre. Um, but uh, but you hear on on Tear You Down, um, you hear you know the riffing, you hear uh, the speed, uh, the tightness, the the sense of mission, and that really goes across all of these songs. Where's my uh... So what do we got here? Yeah, so you've got Overkill, which is known as like one of the first double bass uh, all the way through songs, maybe the first. Stay Clean, I Won't Pay Your Price. Everything on here is an original and, you know, various speeds or whatever, but it's got a very standard arrangement to the whole thing. It's still a lot of things done badly on purpose, recording badly on purpose, bass, Lemmy's vocals. Um you know, it's just, it's just, this is a nasty band and they're, and they're proud to be nasty, but there you go. So there's another one where it's a second album with a blue album cover and they have completely discovered once and for all, uh, the Motorhead sound, which they used right all the way up until their demise pretty much. Okay, um, moving on. Uh, so this is an album that I discussed a bit on Pete's show, but it's the one that kind of kicks this whole thing off. Or basically reminded me I wanted to do an episode on this. Take a listen. This is The Police with Message in a Bottle. All right, so the idea here, um, and I said this on Pete's show, and I I, uh, I truly believe this. I always thought uh, Sting on the front cover of Regatta de Blanc looked uh, very much like Ronnie Montrose. Check it out. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's stunning. It does not look like Sting at all, um, but yeah, I think it looks like Ronnie Montrose. Um, but uh, imagine if Ronnie was in The Police. That would have been a pretty cool band. Uh, anyways, so basically The Police with their debut, Outlandos de Moore, to me, it had a little bit of a, it still had vestiges of punk. It still had a very traditional recording. It had a little bit of that uh, Stiff Records, um, you know, uh, Reckless Eric, uh, Joe Jackson, Heavy Nicolo, Heavy Elvis Costello, a little bit sound to it. Um, they were they were only, it, it had reggae, but it was pretty straight line. It's like, oh, here we are doing some reggae. And here, here we are, you know, Roxanne and So Lonely and stuff like that. Um, 
you know, it was a distinct band already and a pretty interesting band, but there were a lot of bands in the post-punk era that were doing pretty cool, interesting things on their own. So eh, here we go. You know, some, some really good songs, but we're liking The Police and The Police is taken off. Not because of a super crazy unique sound at this point, just because they had good songs at this point. Come, Regatta de Blanc, I think they totally, totally discover their sound, blue album cover, um, you know, and that sound, uh, you know, wells up from uh, from the drum kit, really, that tight, tight snare drum, the uh, the busy hi-hat work of Stuart Copeland, uh, the uh, the independent um, right-hand uh, ride cymbal work and, and bell of the ride cymbal work, you know, going back and forth between, you know, part of the you know the, the front of the ride symbol and the bell things like that um exquisitely exquisitely recorded symbols he's also got a couple of them little symbols here and there i think yeah i can i can picture them in the song contact kind of a deep track on here but i wanted to play message in a bottle because it's an amazing song um you know probably their classic of policeness um and uh, and just a good kind of kind of heavy heavier song of theirs i suppose um but yeah you hear everything in here you hear uh you hear the andy summers kind of playing the alex lifeson role in this band i think a little bit he's he's the uh he's the um the guy having a dialogue with everything else, all this busyness, the busyness on the drums, uh, you know, the bass lines, the the authority in this this lead singer who has so much charm. Um, so he's kind of the Alex Lifeson chiming, doing weird things, noises, um, you know, um, almost like accompany, accompanying these soloists. Um, but, you know, nobody really solos a lot here. I mean, Police has a very sort of sparse sound. It's just like it has loads of personality all over the place. But, you know, everything on here, Walking in the, on the Moon, very police uh, You have the uh, Stuart Copeland slash alter ego Clark Kent kind of things like uh, On Any Other Day. Um, no Time This Time's fast and punky. It's got a great drum break at the end. Bring On all bring on the Night is very police My favorite police uh, instrumental is on here, Regatta de Blanc. Um, you know, it's got really cool atmospheric, very police-like stuff, and then some heavy stuff in it as well. Um, but yeah, just a great, great album. But again, uh, and then I think, again, even with this band, um, they do the police sound solidly one more time, like absolutely straight line. I think Zenyatta Mondad is a weaker album. But then I, I, I think this, the, the uh, last of their five albums, Ghost in the Machine and uh, Synchronicity. Uh, essentially, the sound changes a little bit, um, you know, at that point as well. So this is the most police-like album, exactly, exactly like Foreigner. Like I say, this is where this concept came to me from, literally. Uh, comparing the Police album, the Van Halen album, and the Foreigner album. My last choice is here. Um, or what are we up to? Yeah, we're act- act- actually up to our very last choice. Um, our last choices here are... Um, basically uh well yeah so so motorhead was one that i kind of put in um you know after the fact a little bit the ones i grew up thinking all well actually all 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 of these except my number five really um i've just thought this from basically 1979 this this idea um okay so let's move on let's do our last one here on history and five songs and martin popoff take a listen to this this is saxon with machine gun
All right, now same thing. Um, you know, this pushes it a little bit. This album cover is not terribly, terribly blue. The first one's a little bit blue, and Denim and Leather is a little bit blue, and uh, their bluest album cover, where they really not discover their sound, but have their greatest, uh, per, you know, uh, version of their sound, or or it's like a totally different band. I think is Power and the Glory, and that's blue too. But uh, let's, you know, absolutely, absolutely. The second album does have a bluish album cover, and it absolutely is the album where Saxon discover their sound. Wheels of Steel, April 3rd, 1980. Basically, the first album has vestiges of the 70s still, vestiges of the, the bands that they used to be in. I'm forgetting now the proggy band, but anyways, there was Son of a Bitch was, um, or SOB, um, they, go, they went by both before that. But anyways, that band merged with uh, a band that Biff and Paul Quinn were in. Um, so they were bringing kind of the proggier elements and, um, you know, Graham and, uh, and Steve were bringing more of the, um, the rock and rollsy, uh, free bad company elements. And then also a interesting thing about Saxon is they, they were not super haters of punk. They kind of liked the energy of punk. And, you know, that's a narrative always talked about with a new wave of British heavy metal, but you hear it here on this album where, uh, you know, everything's a little bit heavier. You know, I always, I always remind people it's, it's, I, cause I think it's kind of cool. I did join the Saxon militia in 1980 at the same time I joined the motorhead bangers. Um, but uh, so I bought this album as an import um, and loved it. Um, it has so much atmosphere. It's so earthy and lunchbox uh, metal. You know, it's different than Maiden, right? It's not so much flight of fancy as, as Maiden is. It's more like working man, bikers and, you know, all that stuff. And, and some, some kind of like old, almost like uh, oldie moldy rock and roll on it. But essentially... This is Saxon Sound, and this is where they get it. The first album only has kind of vestiges of it. Um, you know, it's really cool that Saxon probably made the first bonafide new wave of British heavy metal album. That's pretty neat. Uh, with that album, you could put Gillen in there as well. You could put Samson in there as well. And none of those are all that great. But the point is, is that soon as 1980 rolls around, here they are very early in 1980, so at the beginning of April, April 3rd, making a bonafide, cool, perfect, um, really cool, classic new wave of British heavy metal album that is so much their sound. I mean, basically, they have this sound again on Strong Arm of the Law. They clean it up a little bit on Denim and Leather, but those three records in a row uh, are, you know, define Saxon's golden era and define the sound, and this album uh, defines it probably the most. All right, there you go. What did you think of that idea? Um, well, I'm just going to reinforce it for you a little bit. Um, so, um, you know, I left these out because I don't want to talk about the same stuff over again on every episode. So um, I could have put these in as well. But here's some great honorable mentions. Two absolutely amazing honorable mentions. Metallica with Ride the Lightning. Totally discovered their sound. Second album, blue album cover. And probably the greatest example of this whole darn thing period is Rush with Fly By Night. You know, they cheat a little by bringing in a super important guy into the band, Neil Peart, um, but they they truly, truly discover their sound on their second album, and it's a really, really, really blue album cover. Um, you know, another one that's a second album cover that you could maybe argue is Max Webster with High Class and Borrowed Shoes, um, but I, I feel that they've already kind of discovered their sound on the first album anyway, so it doesn't quite fit. 
Uh, and then a couple others that, that break from the norm a little bit that I thought kind of worked was Nazareth Razamanaz because, you know, the first one's a little bit old. The second one's this weird folky album, Exercises, Bizarre. Um, but they totally discover their sound with Razamanaz. It's the start of their golden period, you know, the Roger Glover period, and then moving into, actually, you know, pr- production by Manny Charlton too, Hair of the Dog. Um, but basically that's their golden period with Loud and Proud in there. Um, so yeah, they discover their sound on their third album and with the very blue album cover. UFO is an interesting case. Um, you know, people have argued, or you know, when when I brought this uh, this idea up here here and there, I I already had this in mind, but um, I've had other people kind of reinforce it. I guess is what I'm getting at. Lights out an obsession. Two very blue album covers, and that's totally totally you know considered the the classic period of of UFO. And then and then even No Place to Run is kind of a bluish album cover. And I I like that. While Willing is a bluish album cover, but I think uh, UFO more or less discovered their sound much earlier than Lights Out. Um, I thought Deep Purple's an interesting case. Uh, they discover their sound on In Rock with the with the new Mark II lineup, blue album cover, and Machine Head is also a blue album cover. But in in between there, there's uh, there's Fireball, of course. And then another funny case is Scorpions. Uh, you could say, oh well, their sound uh, was the uh, the Matthias Jabs when they add sort of an Americanness to their sound, like a more accessibility. Uli's gone, gone is that Hendrixy kind of thing. And lo and behold, we get um, three blue album covers in a row from them uh love drive animal magnetism and blackout um so that's kind of uh kind of cool um and then um i've had other people mention Joni mitchell blue um moody blues days of future past uh their their second album actually i forgot to mention this the 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 foreigner album actually has a song called blue morning blue day on it um, so there's reinforcing the blueness. Um, and then, um, you know, Yes, Fragile. Um, but I, I don't believe, I mean, Yes, Fragile, Yes, discovered their sound, I think, on their third album, the Yes album. Um, so I, I don't think Fragile is them discovering their sound. I can't really comment. I mean, Moody Blues, of course, they're moving from that 60s thing into this weird creepy proggy thing i was never a big fan um so so that makes sense the Joni mitchell i can't really comment i don't know the catalog that well but there you go so there's a bunch um that fit this but i think the five i picked completely fit it as well what do you think um anyways um join us on the facebook page for history and five songs with martin popoff you could also go to martinpopoff.com um for all your book needs, there's a lot of weird stuff going on there. Things being in stock, things going out of stock, things I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get again. Long story. Bluish Occult, the visual history is a little up in the air. Uh, the Black Sabbath Born Again, I just got 30 in and then that's screwing up and I will probably get some more, but they're kind of a little expensive. Uh, so yeah, some weird stuff happening. I still have the Saxon book. Um, I still have Rush Anthem, uh, Rush in the 70s. Still got copies of that. Um, and uh, on Monday, I apparently get uh, Empire of the Clouds, Iron Maiden in the 2000s. Yeah, that's right. So I put I put Judas Priest, Decade of Domination back into print, and I put Holy Smoke, Iron Maiden into the 90s back in print. Enough uh, about that. Uh, thanks again for visiting us here, and uh, see you again next time. Bye. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. 
Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.